Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Well, thank you, Heather. Excellent. So I'm going to carry on uh, with a series that I've been doing uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, which I was doing before uh, we went on vacation. And just to give a bit of a recap, the, the sermon starts with the Beatitudes, uh, where Jesus shows the journey that the soul's got to take in order to live in the nature of Christ. He describes the character in the Beatitudes of someone living in the nature of Christ, a journey that takes us from not knowing all the way through to a full realisation of the nature of reality. And having got to that realisation at the end of the Beatitudes, he then stresses the importance of making the most of that realisation with the salt and light passages, and then, you know, beginning, he, he then starts the journey that we must undertake. He stresses the importance of the work. And then he goes on to lay out a map of what we're about. He begins with the law of the land and gives us a new perspective, seeing life from a non-dual position where one uh, makes no distinction between heaven and earth. And therefore, we have a new way to look at the law. Uh, then he looks at the nature of creation, um, including all of our enemies, asking us to love our enemies, a radical understanding that all things have equal value. And then he asks us to look at the true nature of our inner calling rather than just playing to the gallery. So he's giving us instructions as to how to be with our lives. And then he shows us how to connect with the divine. Um, and he goes into the Lord's Prayer and shows us how to use the Lord's Prayer to connect. And then he says, you can't serve both God and money. He says, you've got to make a distinction as to where you're going. So throughout the sermon, Jesus is giving us pointers as to what living in the kingdom of heaven means. It's a how-to of living a life filled with love. And he goes on in our next passage to this classic bit. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? For the pagans run after those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness, and all this will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry. You know, to many of us, that is a pretty impossible command. We all 
spend our lives worrying about everything because we think it's the way to get the best through life. Granted, some of us worry more than others. However, there's not one of us that's not at some point plagued by worry. Losing sleep over problems that we turn over in our minds, not being able to concentrate on whatever's in front of us because our minds are focused on something that might happen in the future or something that has happened in the past. It seems almost that worry defines what it is to be human. I worry, therefore I am. It's that which differentiates us almost from animals. You know, the other day I was driving down the road and I watched a deer cross the road in front of me. And I was wondering, how does it know what to do? How do creatures know? How does a caterpillar know how to turn into a butterfly? How does a chipmunk know where to get its food? How do ducks know where to fly in winter? How do worms know where to go and what to eat and what to do? All of which I think Jesus is referring to when he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It seems that birds and animals and plants and, you know, even microbes all know what to do without thinking about it. Jesus explains it by saying that the heavenly father looks after them. But in reality, there is something in them that shows them what to do. It might be that they were taught by their parents or it's in their genes or in their cell makeup. They do instinctively know what to do. And admittedly, it doesn't all end up in rosy ways. They get killed and eaten and many of them die in horrible ways. But somehow that life force within them impels them on a way that works for them and for their species. But we worry. And Jesus is saying, do not worry. I mean, how, how do we rationalize these two? Well, obviously we worry because we have minds that are able to self-reflect, which birds and animals and plants do not have. That self-respecting, self-reflecting rather, is there for our survival. Unlike animals, we can work out the best ways not to get killed or eaten. We can band together and we can work things out for our survival. Because the purpose of the rational mind is to help us survive. But the byproduct of the rational mind survival is worry. Our mind turning over the possibilities to try and come up with the right outcome, which is useful to work out how to survive. However, it's not useful if it turns into a preoccupation, a worry that plays over and over again in our minds without resulting action. Such worry leads us to be debilitated and takes away our ability to live life to the full. So how do we deal with that? Well, first, I think we have to understand the backstory, the real nature 
of reality that we live in. Because in our day-to-day living, that backstory that we have is often forgotten. When we worry, we're thinking that we're separate from everything else in the world. And therefore, we have to strategize to protect ourselves from what's coming our way, and we have to survive the best we can. The first mistake we make here is to think that we're separate from everything else, because I don't think we are. If there's a tenet of belief in this chapel, it is in the oneness of all things, that we are living in a universe that is all one, and that we are as a drop in that ocean. A drop, yes, but also a full part of that ocean. And in reality, we see this in the interdependence of all things. Everything is dependent upon everything else. So that shows us the oneness of things. And also the fact that when you break it all down, the universe is just a soup of carbon atoms. And we are all each a part of that soup. The only difference is that we are a conscious part of that soup. We're aware of existing. We can think about it. We can rationalize it. And we rationalize ourselves as being separate because it's easier for our minds to deal with the situation if we think of ourselves as a separate entity. Whereas the reality is that we're all a part of one whole. So that's the first thing. And I think secondly, our awareness of being alive comes, this is, we're talking about the backstory. So the first part of the backstory is that we're all one and that we're all a part of one universe. And the second part of the backstory is that our awareness of being alive comes through the portal of our consciousness. Each of us has our own little portal into the whole that we look into. And we look in, and everybody else looks into that hole as well. And we all think that we're separate, but in reality, we are just one of 14 billion human eyes looking into the same reality. And our portal... Our consciousness is what we're given to interact with the whole. Each of us has a unique gift of life that manifests through the portal of our consciousness. We've all come through eons and suddenly here we are for this short period of time and we're alive and we're alive within this portal. Now, the thing is, when we realize that we're a part of a greater whole, that we are that drop in an ocean, then we see that there's actually nothing to fight against because we're a part of that ocean. We move with it. Our enemy is but the shadow that we ourselves cast. And all of creation is of a whole that's gradually moving towards a greater consciousness and realization. And we are part, as I've said before, of that evolution of consciousness. Our purpose in life, as we've said many times before, is to become a conduit 
for the love that's at the heart of all things and bring that love through our portal to enable the overall consciousness to develop. And the way we do that is by completely trusting in the universe, by trusting in our lives and understanding that what the universe brings us in a moment-by-moment basis is exactly what we need to put our attention on and to bring love into. Therefore, our potential in life is not what our minds can dream up for us to do. It's not our great success. It's not even our great failure. It's not our wonderful plans or our ideas. No, our potential in life is all about how we respond to the present moment in the present moment. In this moment lies all the good that we can do in the world. Everything else is just moving the deck chairs on the Titanic, which is why Jesus says, do not worry. That's the backstory. He's saying, do not try and overthink your life because then you'll miss your true potential, which lies in the present moment. How do I deal with being with you now? How do I deal with this situation? How do I respond to it? How do you deal with those sitting around you? How do you deal with the curveballs that the universe will throw you? It's there that the potential lies. It is through your response to the present moment that you bring the love that you have within you into the ocean that's around you. And to worry takes away from that. We have to completely trust the universe around us and realize that we've each been given a unique portal. This consciousness, and it only lasts for each of us a few years for us to make our contribution. We're only here, conscious, realizing it for a few years. And the only way we can do that to make that contribution is to respond to the present moment through the portal of this consciousness that we've been given. Everything else is just what you think about it. So in a way, Jesus is asking us to be like the birds of the air, the deer, the grass, the worms, and respond to our lives in the present moment, not overthinking what we're doing. Yes, our minds are useful. Yes, we should think about things. But Jesus is saying that the enlightened mind, once they've thought about things, then realizes its place in the world and lets go of trying to control the outcomes of what it does because it can't control them. It lets go of that. It lets go of trying to make the way things go their way because it only has a partial view. The the mind only has a partial view and it cannot see the bigger picture. It can only see the picture in relation to its own perspective. It can't get the ocean's perspective. The enlightened mind trusts the universe. As the Tao Te Ching says, it does its work 
and then it lets go because that's the path to serenity. So worry takes us out of the present moment. And so it robs us of our ability to make the contribution that we were born to make, which lies within our response to the universe as it comes to us in that present moment. All of which is the theory. But, you know, how do you put that into practice? Well, I think there are two ways to actively put it into practice. First, you have, you have to be able to control your mind. And secondly, you have to be willing to act. Jesus, in talking about not worrying, he's actually specifically referring to controlling your mind. When he says do not worry, he's referring to the activity of the mind. He's saying stop all that stuff that is going on. So he's referring us to the way that we control our minds. He's saying, look, I know your minds worry a lot. However, you have to stop. Stop our minds and not worry. And so we have to think about how do we control our minds. And of course, one of the ways that we control our minds is by meditation. That is the purpose. In meditation, we practice not having our minds be in control of us. And by practice that, by practicing that, it means that in our lives, after our meditation, as we go about our lives, we have a greater control of our minds and we can stop ourselves worrying because we've been practicing that. We can say to our minds, look, just don't go there. You know that thing that you're continually turning around, that, that worry, that fear? Don't go there. Don't think about it. Stop worrying the ball of string and put it down. And in doing so, we stop the mind obsessing about whatever we worry about. So the first thing I think we can do is about controlling our minds. And the second thing is being willing to act and not worry about the consequences. To do in the moment what we know needs to be done rather than always thinking about it too much and, and therefore not doing. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of, of its own. And the Tao Te Ching puts it really well. It says, fill your bowl to the brim and it will spill. Keep sharpening your knife and it will blunt. Chase after money and security and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval, and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. Or as Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek being in the present moment, which is where the kingdom of heaven exists and everything will be okay. Worrying about it will take you out of the present moment, out of the kingdom of heaven, and will rob you of the potential that lies for you in that present moment. I'm going to finish with a quote from Seng Tsar uh, from 600 AD. 
Um, and it's a wonderful little passage called The Mind of Absolute Trust. This is just a part of it. He says, the great way isn't difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. The great way isn't difficult to those who are unattached to their preferences. Let go of longing and aversion and everything will be perfectly clear. When you cling to a hairbreadth of distinction, heaven and earth are set apart. If you want to realize the truth, don't be for or against. The struggle between good and evil is the primal disease of the mind. Not grasping the deeper meaning, you just trouble your mind's serenity. Not grasping the deeper meaning, if you don't grasp all that, you just trouble your mind's serenity. As vast as infinite space, it is perfect and lacks nothing. But because you select and reject, you can't perceive its true nature. Don't get entangled in the world. Don't lose yourself in emptiness. Be at peace in the oneness of things and all errors will disappear. So, um, any thoughts about that? What, what, what did, any takeaways did you feel? Well, um, it, it strikes me that over the last two months, really, you've been um, pointing out the fact that the Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus laying out how things work. And I, that to me, that is just so simple and reassuring that everything that, that he says in the Sermon on the Mount is achievable and doable. It's not to tease us or to be clever. It's um, the, this statement, do not worry, is an instruction for us because it's how, how we can live life more skillfully and it's achievable. And um, I just love the fact that that is something to, to grow into and to know that we can do with, with that divine spirit inside us, like giving ourselves to that and in participation, developing the capacity to not worry. I mean, I had a worry disposition last night, didn't I? <laughs> and um, when I was thinking about that, it's simply that I'd lost my, like I'd taken leave of my center. That, for me, that's where, where I worry is when I lose my centeredness and my groundedness. And so it's just the discipline of always coming back to my center place and, and that image that I used earlier of the pendulum coming to rest, like just being in that restful place, which is always abundant. Yeah. And just to, um, to live and give myself to the abundance of, of the present moment. Yeah. I, I mean, I like what you said there, because actually it's true, isn't it? Jesus really in the Sermon on the Mount saying, this is how you live life more skillfully. You know, it's not, it's not really even a religion. It's more of a philosophy than anything else. It's saying these are the practical steps of how to live life more skillfully, which is really here at, you know, at the chapel, how we, you know, th that's what our approach is. You know, how do you live? And he gives these clear instructions as to how to do that. And behind all those clear instructions is this understanding of the nature of reality, which is so key to it. And unless you do get that backstory... And of course, you're going to worry, but unless you get that backstory that, in fact, you know, you're suddenly there for three score years and 10, you're suddenly present and conscious, and it's just you present and conscious for three score years and 10, and you're in the moment and able to make your contribution. And Jesus is saying that that's the most important thing. He's saying everything is there for you 
So don't waste time worrying about it. It's so cool to, to, have, to have that, to have Jesus as, you know, as our wisdom teacher. Yeah. And it's so robust, all of this teaching. It's, it's just so, such a good framework for our lives, isn't it? And um, I feel like, uh, as, as you said, like it's human nature to worry. Yeah. It's human nature, and yet we're asked not to worry. It's doable, it's achievable. And um, to me, this is really a cool invitation just to, to deepen my practice and to, to not try and deal with the circumstances of my life. It's not really about that. It's, no. about, it's about the inner condition. It's, like our, it's about our inner landscape, isn't it, really, yeah. and about our quality of being and um, developing a, a beingness that is founded on on trust and faith. Um, but it's also a, an imperative here, which is to do work. I mean, what is he saying here? He's saying you've got to work on your mind. And there's an imperative here for us to do the work, which is to not get tied up in those things, you know, to, to, to actually discipline our minds, say, don't go there. You know, there are more important things to do than turn it around. So he's, he's giving us that imperative to work. There is something that we can do in our lives, and he's showing us the way that we can do that. I mean, this is why, you know, the, the Christian path or whatever spiritual path, it is a big ask, isn't yeah. it? It's like, it's hard, and we, we have to give ourselves to it, but it's completely rewarding and completely works. And, and, and really, it's quite interesting to see the same passages in the Tao Te Ching. I think all, you know, of the... the, the you know, big religions are really setting out what the nature of reality is and how you should be responding to them. And it, as you say, it is a big ask, but, you know, we do, we have, have had the presence, over, particularly over the last, you know, 2,000 years, to be able to begin to realise in that self-reflection uh, how we can make a difference. Yeah, and also finally, just, um, you know, just the sense that we, we are so deeply accompanied you know, by that divine spirit. Yeah. Like we're not on our own. We, we're accompanied and, and in community. And this is why I like that this chapel is, is so important. Like just being there for each other in community yeah. just helps with all of this too, doesn't it? So I think it's so important. It yeah, being in community, that's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, very important. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.